a warm greeting here at East Bay Calvary Church. It's good to see you. Uh, on our new and improved uh, worship folder, if you would grab, the, grab that, turn in the back of it, we're going to work through a study guide this morning. And I am <clears throat> just eight weeks in, and I'm preaching probably the most important message that I will ever speak here in my tenure. This is critically important, and uh, I really appreciate folks have been praying about today. And even if you don't know what you're praying about, this is what it is as we open up God's Word together. We're going to do something different this morning than we've ever done before in all of my eight weeks here. We're going to uh, give you the opportunity to use your cell phone, and if some questions come up while we are studying uh, about, about this subject, um, we're going to give you the opportunity to text those questions in. Uh, we may not be able to get to every question, but if you do have questions about the subject matter, um, here's the number up here. It's 231-632-6891. There is an app that you can put your phone number in <clears throat> and see if it spells something really cool. So we're wondering, what cool stuff could our phone numbers spell that we could tell people and make it really catchy for them to remember? And here's the only thing we have, 231 mean 891. And mean is probably not a good number to have for a church, but that's what we have, folks. I'm sorry. 231-632-6891. And uh, text those in a little bit later as we get studying together. We'd love to answer those uh, a little bit later in our work. I want to talk about an account that you may have heard before. So get a jump start if you would. Turn to the book of Jonah in the Old Testament. It's quite a ways through. It's only a little uh, four-chapter book of the Bible. <clears throat> but some of you, probably most of us, have heard something about Jonah and this great fish. Even, even if you've never been to church before, uh, this thing is in popular culture in many different accounts. And you may have heard this account before, Jonah and the great fish or Jonah and the whale. And as you turn to Jonah 4, I'm going to give you a little overview of this account and book of the Bible, and some of these things will stick uh, there in your notes as we work through this together. The prophet Jonah lived about 800 years before Jesus was born, and it gives you a little perspective. He came along about 800 BC. He was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. Uh, he finished his ministry, and this may only connect to some people that have been in church for a while, but he finished his ministry about 30 years before some bigger-named prophets like Isaiah and Micah. Nineveh, I'm not sure how much you've ever heard about Nineveh before, but Nineveh, the meaning of the name Nineveh is associated with the goddess Ishtar, which is the goddess of fertility, love, sex, and war. Nineveh was the largest city in all of the world at that time for about a half a century or so. And it was the military power of their day, and they handled people, the best picture I can give you, they handled people like ISIS does today. And if you didn't go along with them and with their beliefs, you were just gone. And it wasn't a pretty gone. It was a public spectacle gone. Ironically, you ready for this one? Ironically, the name Nineveh is written in a Syrian script with the sign of a fish. Isn't that something? 
wonder if God was setting him up for something. Here's the big question some people ask. Is Jonah fact or fable? It's a good question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you, I'd like, to, I'd like you to consider these things, things and understand the book of Jonah is fact. Here's number one. Um, Jesus affirms the story of Jonah. He affirms the account. In fact, he not only affirms it, he links it to his resurrection. He says, as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so also the Son of Man will be in the grave for three days and three nights. And so he links it to his resurrection. So sure as I'm certain of the resurrection of Jesus, I'm also certain of the reality of Jonah. In addition to that, um, the scriptures tell about itself that all scripture is God-breathed. It's from God. It is without error. And so God mentions it. It's reality. But also um, to further embellish this reality, it says... um, Interestingly enough, Nineveh's original location is in the current site of Masol, Iraq. And in Masol, Iraq is a shrine remaining from the ancient peoples of Nineveh entitled this. This is so cool. It's entitled Nebi Yunus, which in Assyrian script means the prophet Jonah. And all the way up, that shrine was in Mosul all the way up until 2014. And when ISIS overtook Mosul, they ended up um, just wiping out a number of shrines in Iraq. And that was one of them. But if you ever want to Google, and it's all there, you can see pictures of this shrine. It's also called the Tomb of Jonah. And you want to know if it's fact or fable? I, I think just ask the Ninevites that build a whole shrine to this prophet, they're going to say, this was real. What happened was real. Okay, here's a quick one. Take a deep breath. I'm going to work through the first three chapters of Jonah in about 90 seconds. And if you need to write quick, do it. Here we go. Here's a general overview. The Great Commission. Here's basically what happened. God said, Jonah, I want you to leave Israel. I want you to go about 400 miles to Nineveh, probably a three to four week trip. And I want you to preach to these people that beat, torture, rape, kill, the whole deal. And I want you to tell them the kingdom of of God is at hand. You need to repent or you're going to die. So Jonah, getting that commission from God, says, you know what? I'm going to go in the other direction. So there's a great retreat. There's a great, um, the great commission, the great retreat. He says, I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I don't really want to see those people. I'm going to go the other direction, and I'm going to go to Tarsus. So he gets on a boat, starts going the other direction. Then there was a great storm, and God caused this great storm to come along. Everyone's saying, why in the world is this thing happening? Jonah says, you know what? It's me. I'm running from God. Throw me in. And so they grab Jonah reluctantly, and they throw him in there. And you know what? For all those guys that were on the boat, that's the end of the book of Jonah. That's where it ends. And they think, you know what? What they know of Jonah's God is Jonah was disobeying God. God said, throw him in and he'll die. And that's, they thought that's where the story ends. However, we know the story continues. There's the great fish that comes along whoosh, and has uh, a temporary meal in Jonah, takes him along for the ride for about three days and three nights. And um, God caused this great fish to swallow him. But then inside the great fish, you know, when you go through problems, it really does help your prayer life. You ever notice that? 
Can you imagine what Jonah's prayer life was inside the belly of this great fish? And don't watch VeggieTales and think it's like that. There's no choir over in this section of the great fish. You know, there's no stage over here where the dancers are doing their thing. He, you know, imagine this guy is probably like this with goo and other material that this fish has been eating. Can you imagine what it smelled like? That would help your prayer life. Amen? Oh, you better believe it. And he was saying, God, rescue me. And then there was this great rescue where God brought this fish over and deposited Jonah back onto dry land. And then imagine this. And just When we read the Bible too quick, we just lose it. You know, this is so cool. So imagine this. Jonah was three days inside the belly of a great fish. Due to the stomach acid and neighboring contents, he was most likely bleached white, probably did not have a stitch of hair on his body. Probably his clothes were gone. And I can only imagine what this guy smelled like. And he gets tossed up onto dry land and goes to the city of Nineveh in that condition to a people that signed their name of Nineveh with the sign of a fish and began to preach, you better repent because God is going to judge your city. I think God got their attention really well. And the whole city repented. Got all their attention. They all repented. And then there's the great lesson. And that's where we land today in uh, chapter four of the book of Jonah. And I'm going to have you stand with me. I'm just going to read through this. I want you to focus in where we're at and how this whole account ends because this is the main theme of the book. Here we go, chapter four. I'm just going to read down through. Follow along your copy of the scriptures. Here's what it says. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And what seemed very wrong is that the whole, the whole city repented and he couldn't stand it. It seemed very wrong and he became angry and he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. It is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah gone out, sat down at a place east of the city, there he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what the Lord would what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant, some translations say a gourd, this big plant that he made it to grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose up, God provided a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? 
It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Quite a lesson. We got some work to do, so have a seat. Grab that pen, grab your study guide, open our hearts to uh, what God has here for us. Here's the big lesson of the book of Jonah. The big lesson of the book of Jonah, it was for Jonah to learn, it is for us to learn today, and here's the lesson. God's concerns must be our concerns. God's concerns must be our concerns and we want to look at this and figure out what was Jonah's major concern. If you thought about that, what was Jonah really concerned with here? And at the end of the account, after he finally reluctantly preaches this message, he goes outside of the city. He's kind of hoping maybe something will happen. Maybe God will still torch these people. Maybe he'll wipe them right out and I won't have to deal with them ever again. But while he is there on this east side of the city, he finally reveals a thing that he truly cares about. And it is the only time in the whole book of Jonah that Jonah's happy. He's actually happy. He wasn't happy with the commission. He was not happy with the runaway. He was not happy with the fish, with the trip to Nineveh, with the ministry that he did. But what finally made him happy was when this plant grew up and gave him shade and comfort. And so I just want to reveal to you, we're going to talk about it here for a moment. Jonah was concerned, and here's your blank, with comfort. He was concerned with comfort. So the big plant was provided by God, and whenever God does something like that, just get ready because he's going to teach us a lesson. And I'm sure Jonah's thinking this, finally. Finally. After being told to go to Nineveh, after being in the belly of this great fish for three days, after walking three days across the city to preach this message, Finally, something's going my way. Can you imagine that? It's about time. And here he's enjoying the shade. He's kicking back. There's the beach life for him. But the next morning, verse 7, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered, and then along comes the scorching heat that cooked Jonah out on the beach, so much that he wished he would die. And here comes the lesson of God for Jonah and the lesson for God for us, and us. it's all in one word. It's all in one word, and it's in verse 10 and verse 11. My translation shows it as one word, concern, some translations talk about pity and sparing. Depends upon what translation. 
They are the same exact Hebrew word, and I want to give this to you. Here's where our discussion's going to be. Here's how we're going to learn this lesson together today. The word concern here, or pity and sparing, it means to look on with compassion, with a focus toward sparing. To look on something with compassion, with a focus toward sparing. This is not a passive word. And so when Jonah started underneath this great leafy plant, he was enjoying the shade. He was thinking, finally, something's going my way. And all of a sudden, he wakes up this one morning and he sees this plant is, you know, starting to tilt a little bit. And he's like, I don't know that I like the looks of that. And then it starts to wither. And it's leaning over. And Jonah was concerned, not just Boy, I hope that thing straightens itself up. Jonah's like, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You're not going down on me now. Ah, uh, what do I do? And I'm, I'm sure, like, he goes over here, time to water it. Maybe he needs some water. And he comes to me, waters a little bit. No different. Oh, boy. Uh, maybe he needs a little bit more dirt. And he goes and gets something, brings it over. They probably didn't have a general store in Nineveh, but if he did... He'd be over there. I need some miracle grow. I need, oh, there's a worm. I need some pesticides. He needs to do whatever. He's going to try to keep this plant up. He probably propped it up. I don't want this thing to go down. This thing has got to stay standing. I need this comfort. This has been great. And he's doing everything he can. This concern is not a passive thing. This is an extremely active thing. I am going to do everything in my power to spare this plant. Because I need my comfort, is what he's saying. No matter what he did, no matter how hard he worked, this plant withered and died. He got scorched by the strong east wind that God provided. And here's um, a couple observations. You ever realize this? You know what people are concerned about. You know what people are concerned about when they see joy when it happens. Oh, this is great. The plant grew. You also know what people are concerned about when you see anger when it doesn't happen. Like the famous um, ad in the newspaper. Maybe you've heard about it. Beautiful wedding dress for sale. Never worn. Will trade for 38 caliber pistol. And when something doesn't happen, sometimes there's some serious anger. This is not the way this should be going. Can I add one observation to our study? And then we're going we're gonna to really go in deep on this. Here's another observation. We need to note that Jonah himself, Jonah himself was rescued just two chapters earlier. Jonah himself was in the belly of this great fish for three days, praying out to God with the most unbelievable, awesome theology, saying, God, please save me, please rescue me. And God came to his aid, rescued him, put him onto dry land. And here's a rescued man, rescued by God. He gave great praise to God for deliverance of himself. However, 
when it came to the deliverance of others, he was more concerned about his comfort. You realize the connection there? He himself had awesome theology, a great testimony, a great rescue story. I'm sure he was happy about that. However, when it came to the deliverance of others, specifically the Ninevites, he was more interested in himself and his own comfort than he was in the deliverance of the Ninevites. And in my quarter century as a pastor, you know, I've never experienced anger from people when we've taken up special offerings to help the missionaries. Never seen it. Never seen anger when we've said, you know what, we need to do a church work day and everyone get together and do this project. I've never seen anger when I said, you know what, we need to step up the plate. There's a roof on this mobile home in town in this retired couple and they can't get out of their place and we are going to go replace their roof. We had 70 people go over there, bam, kick it out in five hours. It's all done. Never seen people get anger over that. So what comforts do people in church tend to get upset about when they are removed or adjusted? I'm not going to talk about personal comforts. I'm not going to say you could be at the beach, but you're here today. You are. We know how to give up personal comforts. What things in church tend to upset people when they are removed or adjusted? So let's take a poll for a moment. Some have been in a few different churches. Maybe you've been in church a little while. Think in your mind, what things do I remember people being upset over in my church experience? Think about it. Don't say it out loud. I don't want the person next to you to be angry with you. You know, just keep it in your mind. In my 25 years of ministry, I'm going to give you my top things people have been upset about. I'm sure some might be thinking right now, oh, he's not going there, is he? You know, like, I hope the search team hasn't disbanded yet. You know, <laughs> what if he doesn't last long? Here's the top things. I know one you're thinking of. Music. Did you think about that? If you said, no, I never, yeah, right. Music. Musical instruments. Music volume, attire, dress, especially for people on the platform. Whew. I took one of my worst beatings in the world when we adjusted the platform furniture. It's not funny, <laughs> I'm telling you. I was Pastor Pinata for a while. They just took their wax and wax and candy was not coming out. I can tell you that much. Wow. Bible translation, use of technology, uh, hair length for men. I haven't had to worry about that for a long time. Um, the timing or the service, uh, the timing of the service elements when we do things. I remember one time I took the offering, I put it after the message, and you would have thought I gave up one of the biggest doctrines of the world, you know. 
when we have communion and how long the preaching is. And I need to tell you something because obviously your church has, your church, I'm sorry, our church has made adjustments. And some of you here, the adjustments that have been made haven't necessarily been to your liking. And I don't know how much you've heard this, but if you're in that camp and you don't necessarily like the way things go, but you are here, I need to tell you something. Thank you. You people that put up with things that are not according to your liking, but you just want the gospel to get out. I need to say thank you so much. In fact, I think we all should say that kind of a thank you. You've done well. And all the horror stories that I've heard from other ministries, some of the things that even I've experienced, um, I know it's not easy. And I applaud people that go through situations and they don't necessarily like the adjustments. It, it grates at their comfort and their nostalgia and the way that they're used to things and the things that are meaningful to them. I, I totally get it. I really do. And churches have split over music. They've split over volume, dress, instruments, programs, and many things a whole lot less significant than those. And it only goes to prove this. It goes to prove that misplaced concern. When things that anger believers are when someone touches my object of nostalgia, my comfort zone, my preference, it's when rescued people have become more passionate about rescuing comfort than they are about rescuing those without Jesus Christ. That's when churches are in a heap of hurt and they're going in the wrong direction. And I'll confess, I've been there, folks. I'm not standing up here just letting a rip. I have beat myself black and blue over this because I have done this. I've had to confess this to others. I've experienced it personally as a pastor, and I've never, ever been in a church business meeting where someone said, I'm so upset that we are not reaching our world with the gospel. Who cares about us? We need to get out there and get them and help them. I, I've never heard anyone get upset. We haven't had a baptism in here for six months. I've never heard people get mad about, we haven't had someone come to Christ around here in eight months or a year. I've never heard it. I sure have heard the other stuff. And it shows you the misplaced concern. When we're concerned about our comfort, our nostalgia, the way things are, and less concerned about the people that need to be reached. I've seen some people nearly pop a vein in their forehead doing what they can to save the things that give them comfort 
rather than being involved in the rescuing of people. I'm going to tell you a story. Oh, my word. Ugh. I started making some transitions at church, just like you did here uh, about 12 years ago. And, um, and so we, we started adjusting our, our music style a little bit. And these were really low-key choruses, real low-key. And, um, and we didn't even have a drum set yet. We, had, um, we started with the egg. Remember the egg? Yeah. Yeah, all you people from the 70s, like, yeah, the egg. You know? <laughs> and then we, we went from that to a tambourine, you know, and, you know one of those. And, um, and I remember there's, we were an island there in upstate. We were an island of a ministry that was trying to be relevant, surrounded by ministries that, that rejected relevancy to their culture rejected it. And so we were sermon material for them. And in fact, I was on one pastor's website for bad reasons. And he did this. I went, someone said, you need to read his website. And I went on there. And I'm like, oh, that's me. You know, he says, he says, there's this local church that's changing their music. And he said, and I, I have no idea he goes, I secretly got a recording of their music one day. I'm like, he had a spy come into my church, you know, and record the music. And he said, and I sent this to a college professor at my college. And I knew what college it was. I'm not going to say it here. And he said, and after I sent it to him and he listened to it, he and I were talking. And here's, here's how he finished it. He's like, and that college professor said, if I didn't know that that was a church, I would have thought I walked into a nightclub. Of course, you know what I was thinking? How does he know what it sounds like inside a nightclub? <laughs> yeah. Never did ask. I'll have to put that on my website. <laughs> Anyways, that's, that's not good. Sorry. So while Jonah was all mad over his comfort being tampered with, what was God so concerned about? So here it is, verse 11. Jonah, you were concerned, and you went nuts trying to do everything you could to save that plant. You didn't even make it. You didn't grow it. It came up overnight. It died overnight. You went berserk over it, and he said, verse 11, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? You wonder, so how is God so concerned about the people of Nineveh? Well, here's the deal. He tapped a prophet from over 400 miles away a two to three week journey, and he pursued him. Even when he tried to run away from God, he went after him and said, no, 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 you're coming back. And the demise of Nineveh meant so much to God that he had a great fish perfectly timed to come by and scoop him up and, and then took Jonah on a three-day, three-night, all-expense-paid cruise all the way to get a little bit closer to this land of Nineveh who needed to hear this message of mission and rescue. And although we look at this account 
and think it's really about a rebellious prophet who tried to get away from God. No, no, it's the exact opposite. This account is about a God who would do anything. He would do anything to go reach these people that no one else gave a rip about. And in fact, most people hated. And that really shouldn't surprise us because guess who did that for us? Jesus Christ. And don't think that his only comfort sacrifice is when he died on the cross. He ended up sacrificing his comfort the second he left his realm in glory and came to earth and took on this limiting, restricting flesh. He was born as a baby and grew up and grew in stature and he was mocked and ridiculed and rejected and then came along the cross. But gang, he gave up every comfort imaginable and he did it for you and for me. And so it comes as no surprise if God himself will go through every imaginable sacrifice to rescue you and rescue me, he's probably not concerned about our comforts that we hold dear over rescuing others. I told you this is a big message. Um, I'm kind of wondering what you're thinking a little bit. We have uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a couple moments for text message questions. And I don't know if you've texted anything yet. If you do have a, a question about this, I would love to answer it. Um, there's the, the number right up there, 231-632-6891. If you have a question, let it rip. We can probably only take two or three. Now, don't make them too hard and make me um, be too stumped up here in front of you all. But let's give it a shot and see... What we can answer, then I have four application points we're going to finish up with. So do we have any questions yet um, that might be, what's the place of tradition then? That's a great question. What's the next question? <laughs> Man, why did I do this? This was a stupid idea. This is... Um... <laughs> hey, uh, we all have traditions. You'll never get away from them. Guess what? We're in a tradition right now. We are. And, and the reality is um, the place of tradition, they will constantly be moving along with us, and we do appreciate them. However, I think we all know traditions are a means to an end. They are not the end in themselves. And when those kind of get flip-flopped and we think, no, I'm going to hold to this tradition over the sake of effectiveness for reaching the lost and better discipling our believers, that's when the place of tradition has been elevated beyond anything God ever intended it to be. And, and if we want to understand the place of tradition, just read through the Gospels and see Jesus' reaction to tradition in the level of importance that the Pharisees put on it. So traditions are a means to an end. They are the tools by which we help people, but they are not the end themselves. Um, if that answers that question, thank you. Uh, is there another one? What do we got here? But isn't church for believers? Yes, it is. I'm glad it is. Um, for which believer? I mean, it's for all believers. 
Uh, Romans 15. Uh, you got a second? Of course you do, because you're not getting out until I'm done. Romans 15. Uh, let, me, let me show you this really quick. It's for all believers. It's for us old believers. We got some little four and five-year-old believers downstairs. Um, it's for brand new believers that just trusted Christ this week. So you wonder, so how do we do this? You know, how do you, how do you please everybody? And, you know, we end up making this collage where everyone needs to be happy. And I remember, I remember interviewing a pastor once years ago, and we were looking for an associate and that he says, the goal of church is making everyone happy. And I'm thinking, wow, that's never going to happen. You know, and we make this churchy Donnie and Marie show. You know, I'm a little bit of country and I'm a little bit of rock and roll and I'm a little bit of everything to make everyone happy. And, um, and I have this crazy radical idea that I really think is the heart of Jesus and it's his desire for the church. And I really believe it's this, People who have been here, people who are seasoned in their faith that God has rescued like Jonah need to be less concerned about themselves and more concerned about the next one's coming. Romans 15. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and notices and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. And then here's the beauty, verse 3. Guess who the example this is? For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those insulted you have fallen on me. Christ didn't come to please himself. He looked for those who are weak. And so the people who are strong need to be less concerned about self more thinking about the other person. Um, here's, here's a question that was given to me, and I know it's, it's not all about music. It's funny, when I was coming here, someone asked, what's on your playlist? What's on your personal playlist at home? I'll tell you what's on my personal playlist. Whatever my kids listen to, it's what it is. I get in the car and the most ridiculous, crazy, weird sounding music comes on with, with God lyrics. And I'm like, you have, like, where's Steve Green, people? You know, <laughs> what happened to Singity Patty? You know, she was my favorite. And they're listening. So I'm like, you know, so I'll start doing some dance moves, you know. They're like, Dad, stop now. <laughs> you know. And then I'll start, you know, never mind. I don't want to do it here. They're like, Dad, really? And, and, you know, but ultimately, I've been reached. I'm there. I'm not going to feel any good about me getting my way in the car and my kids go to hell. 
I just don't care. I don't care about me. No. I got this stupid Batman band-aid on my finger because that's the only kind of band-aid we have in our house. I look around, I'm like, I'm the lead pastor, and I'm going to church with a Batman band-aid. But the truth is, who cares? You know, it's not about me anymore. I'm not worried about me falling away or giving up on my faith. I'm just concerned about the next generation. I'm concerned about the people that don't have Jesus. And when we can focus more on them, those little squirts downstairs and our teens in here, and the lost out there, then we do about, I want this and I want that, and it's got to be in this time frame. Who cares about me anymore? got another question for me. What are we going to need to change to have compassion on the people rather than the gourd? I think the easy answer is us, our heart. Uh, the more like Jesus we become, the more we care about others just like him. That's the story of the gospel. He didn't care about himself. He cared about us. Did everything in his power to come here and rescue us. And what are we going to need to change to have compassion? We need to be more like Jesus. We need to see people as less our opposition. And this is hard, especially in today's political climate. Isn't that true? I went to the grocery store this morning and um, grabbed some donuts for the crew, and then my daughter needed an energy drink because she was in worship team at 7.45. As we're going through the line with donuts and energy drink, the cashier said, that's quite the breakfast there. And, and we said, yeah, and it's for church too. Yeah. <laughs> and... Uh, she asked, um, do you talk about politics there? And you know why she's asking. I said, oh, I've got something a whole lot better than politics to talk about. And um, it's true, you know. Uh, I know sometimes these people are lined up on the other side of the issue on the other political party, you know? They, on the other side of their views of sexuality. And I know they may even seem fairly militant and it's very easy to begin to get a mentality, okay, they're, they're the enemy. 
That's who I'm against right there. And ultimately, we realize, as Paul says in Ephesians, we don't battle against flesh and blood. This is, this is the enemy is, is our adversary, Satan, and it is the world scheme that he's developing, and those people have been captured in their train of thinking, and we need to be involved in rescuing them. That's what it is. What needs to change? We do. We need to be like Jesus and maybe, uh, and we'll, I'll get to some application in just a moment. We have time for one more, and then, um, then we'll finish. Is there danger in not partnering with God's mission? Yes. You waste your life on everything than the most important thing God's called us all to do. There's a mission he's given to our church and to us as individual believers to make disciples and to make better disciples. And if we are not actively, aggressively involved with God's mission, we have wasted all of this, folks. What did this matter? All the money we put into this, all the time and effort, if we are not involved in God's ultimate mission, if we are not out there doing his mission in our world, we have wasted our lives on everything but the most important thing he called us to do. That's what it is. Let me give you four things, and we're going to finish up. Oh, what do we take away with us today? I'm going to tell you four things, and then, um, then we'll sing together. Um, number one, remind each other of what matters most. Remind each other of what matters. We will forget, okay? I know we will. We're going to walk out of here and, um, and everything will be cool. We're saying, hey, things are going great. And then something's going to change more than the bulletin, you know? And we're going to say, what? <gasps> Whoa, I can't believe that. And, you know, we're going to have to remind each other, does it really matter? Really? Um, in the grand scheme of things, does that really matter? Remind each other. Here's number two. Be the vote for those who can't. This is a challenge in churches because we kind of get to be like American government. Those who vote, vote for what I want, right? And the mind of Jesus isn't, so what do I want? It's what do they need? And so that's the big thing is be the vote for those who can't. Lost people, new believers, kids. Um, imagine if Jonah, the believer, the rescued believer, if Jonah in this account voted, guess what his vote would have been for the missions trip to Nineveh? All in favor say aye. All opposed, nay. What would his vote been for the gourd planting ministry he wanted to start? Yay! Let's do the gourds. And churches can become special interest groups that cater to the concerns of those on the inside. What do we want? How do we like it? 
and we can quickly lose sight of what really matters. I, I remember, um, <laughs> oh, God bless her. There's a woman in my previous ministry. Um, when we started to make some adjustments, she grabbed me by the arm, pulled me in. She said, ah, I don't like this. And remember who voted you in. Yeah. Her name is Pearl. She's in heaven now. And uh, I'll never forget, we went, the egg, to the tambourine, and guess what the next step was? The drums. We'd cover them up with a blanket and tell people there were oversized communion set up there. Um, but eventually the cover came off and we played it. Well, here's the beauty. She did not like the drums. You, you ready for this? But I told uh, folks in our worship stuff, go buy a set. It's okay. We worked it through with our church leadership and they went and bought it and they brought it in. The name brand of the drum, Pearl. <laughs> oh, God's got an awesome sense of humor, huh? But I remember, um, I remember that, remember who voted you in. And we need to be concerned about not voting for me, what I want, how it needs to be. Be the vote for those who can't. Here's number three. Beware of comfort talk. Beware of comfort talk. A distinguishing feature of church. A church is like Jesus. A distinguishing feature of church should be that we do uncomfortable things to connect with those who are weak or lost. We do the uncomfortable. We don't ask them, you know what? If you want to be a part of this, you need to do things the way I like them being done. But rather, we do the uncomfortable and watch out for the trap of comfort talk. You know, what do you want? How would you like to see church? And if we are reached, encourage others to think about removing comforts from the dialogue. In fact, let's gauge our success as a church of what comforts we're willing to give up for the sake of the gospel, not the ones I'm going to fight for because I like it that way. Here's number four. Be willing to lose some comforts. Be willing to lose some comforts. Bust not only in church what we do, but bust your own personal comfort zone. Blow it up. Talk to somebody. You know what you're saying? You know Okay, I'll let you make changes up front, but don't ask me to do anything. Okay, that's the next comfort zone we got to bust. Talk to someone, invite them. Invite them to your house. Then invite them to East Bay Calvary. Don't just think this church needs a program to reach the community. We're going to find out this fall in our next series what's the goal of church, being an intentional church. We're going to find out we are God's program to reach the community, not the church corporately to do something nifty. And so um, we need to lose some personal comforts, be willing and ready to sacrifice our comfort, our preferences for those on the outside. This is, like I said, the most important message I probably will ever preach here at East Bay Calvary. That does not mean you don't have to come back again. Well, we got the big one out of the way, so... Um, um, it means, folks, this, this is my heartbeat. 
This is why I wake up in the morning. This is why I do this. It's why your pastors are on board with this and your elders. This is so important to us because it is the most important thing to Jesus Christ. And thank God it was or none of us would be sitting here. Amen? None of us. God, your, your blessing on these people. I just pray that you would please help us to develop a burden, a compelling passion. No longer for us, our comforts, our preferences, our desires, our wish list, but God, for those who are weak, for those who are lost, for those who have yet to grow in their faith, although they're new. God, help us to catch a vision. What could you do here if none of us cared about us? But God, we cared about having the heart of Jesus Christ for our world right here in this region. God, I beg you, do big things in us first, not in the church corporately first, but in us. And then through that, glorify yourself in your church. And all these big Calvary said,